morning. I am. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I told the first service that I had three cups of coffee today, and never have that. And so now I'm back to normal. Okay. There. That's why. It was right. Okay. We're good. Okay. I got a big fatty ear, so this thing always falls off. Um. I love summer. I don't know about you guys, favorite season, and I wait for it all winter long. And a day like today comes, and if I wasn't preaching and if I wasn't playing on the worship team, I can't guarantee you that I'd be here because it's a beautiful day. But as much as I love summer to that degree, I hate winter. And I know there are people out here who are the exact opposite that love the other season, but Man, I'm a summer guy. I absolutely love it. And we enjoy doing different things. It's like when we switch to summer, we switch gears. We do summer things. And we go to the beach, which we love to do. We went out last night and we went to the beach. And I was trying to figure out this morning why my arm is so sore. But I bet I threw 3,000 rocks for our dog last night. And I woke up this morning. I'm trying to figure out what is up with this. But it was a beautiful night, beautiful day. When I was 19 years old, I moved from Iowa to California and uh, lived with my roommate, who was also my best friend at the time. And um, he took me to the ocean for the first time. And I went swimming. I had never been really in the ocean because we were far from it. But he wanted to go body surfing. So I said, sure, we'll go. And he told me we get in the water and that you just have to wait for the wave to come. And you catch the wave and you ride in on the wave. You body surf. And, and so we tried it. And my first wave that I did, I totally missed the wave. And it ended up, the, the wave came and it just threw me like a rag doll into the water. And I was somersaulting around, ended up hitting the bottom. It's like, oh man. So I got up, I tried it again. The second one, I missed the wave again. And this time it just slammed me to the ground. And I, I remember hitting it and I went to say a nice word out of my mouth, like darn. And I opened my mouth and it filled with salt water. And I said, holy. And so I stood up and I'm coughing, I'm spurting, I'm looking to find where my friend went. And another wave came. And it slammed me to the ground again. And I thought, you know, I am from Iowa. Give me a cornfield and a cow and a pig and a pair of boots and I'm good. I'm not supposed to be in this water. And I'm just dying. And then we were swimming another time and trying it again. And in the middle of swimming, I felt that I was being pulled out to sea. And I'm trying, I'm swimming, I'm swimming. And I couldn't catch up. And he finally, see my friend and he goes, swim over here. So I swam over there. And I was out of it. And I said, what was that? And he says, that was a riptide. He says, you got caught in a riptide. I had no idea what a riptide even was. So message of this message is escaping the undertow. So in doing some research, I had to find out what exactly is an undertow and what's a riptide. I didn't know they were two different things, but they are. So an undertow is when the, the wave comes to the shore and the shoreline goes up like this and the wave hits the shore, but it has to go somewhere. So it turns and it goes underneath and it goes back out to sea. And if you've ever been to the beach and stood in the water, you felt that pull on your ankles, right? That's the undertow. And that undertow can be pretty subtle, but it can also be pretty strong. But that's different than a riptide. What a riptide is, is when the water comes in and, and, and the waves are coming so fast that the wave doesn't have a chance to escape. So it tries to go underneath, but the other wave is still there. So it needs a place to go. So what it does, it looks for a break a weak spot in the oncoming wave and it breaks through and it goes out. 
So it cuts through. A riptide is on top of the water and an undertow is underneath the water. But the thing is that a, a really strong riptide, it can take you 10 feet in a second. So in, tw in two, I'm sorry, 10 feet in a second, so in under less than a minute, it can take you two football fields. Think about that. You can't even swim that. In a minute, you're two fo football fields down, the, down the, the road, you know? And it's strong, but you can't get out on your own strength. You can swim against it, but you can't get out. And that's what happens in our faith, you know? I thought about this, and there's a lot of analogies for our, our faith to a riptide in an undertow. We're in this series called Life's a Beach, right? This is why I don't know how to dress like this. I was telling my wife, I said, you know, is it okay that I show my legs? I've, I don't know. And, and is it all right? And she's, oh, yeah, you're fine. So if you don't like my legs, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but, you know, the amazing thing about a riptide, if you don't have a destination, it really doesn't matter that you get caught up in it, does it? A riptide can take you all the way to Iceland for all you care. If you don't have a destination, then you don't really care. And our faith is no different. When we go to the beach and we put our stuff, when we go out on the water, we look and we find a focal point. That's where we, we focus on that so that our, our stuff is there. We know where to go. Can I just switch this? This is going to drive me insane. Sorry, guys. The thing doesn't stay on my ear. Okay. How about that, Nate? Okay, sorry about that. You know, so when we go to the beach, we look at the focal point and we find one. And that's where we focus for the time so that when you get thrown around, you know where to go. And I don't know about you, but there's been seasons in my faith when I've been really connected to God and I've got that focal point and I'm focused on Him. And I sense Him and I sense that I'm doing something good. I sense that I'm making a difference in the world. I sense that I'm following where God wants to take me. But there's also been seasons in my life when I don't have that. When I feel that I'm disconnected. I've drifted. I don't have a focus. And I have sat in these seats where you guys are, and I've shared this before. I've got people that I know all around me. And I have never felt so distant, so disconnected, and so lonely as that time when I don't have that. And I thought, why is that? Why can I sit in a church in a, in a seat and feel so disconnected from God? And I really do think it kind of goes to this principle of, of falling prey to an undertow. You know, I don't think that we recognize it or that we get out of it in time before we're caught up in it. Because in the beach, you can survive an undertow 99% of the time. All you have to do is step out of it or swim out of it. But it tugs you underneath. Have you ever felt in the, at the beach when you're standing in the water and you feel that wave come? And as it goes away, you feel the sand come out from underneath your feet? And it just feels like everything's your foundation's being pulled out. And if you stand there long enough, after a long time, after a while, you're going to feel that it starts to go around your legs and it cements you down, and then one wave will knock you over and you can be pulled out to sea with the undertow. In Hebrews 2, it says this. It says, Therefore, we ought to give the most earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should drift away. You know, and it's so true. We have to pay attention to what we've heard. I liken the undertow to being pulled under. And as I thought of a scriptural example of this, I thought of, a glaring one for me, which is David and Bathsheba. So I want to just read you the first two paragraphs of 1 Samuel, the story of David and Bathsheba, King David. And it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. 
The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So a couple of things that I pick up on this with David, he ignored an undertow. So first thing he did, he was alone. Usually kings go off to war, and he stayed home that time instead of going off to war. And when he wakes up and he sees Bathsheba, the undertow was there, but he ignored it. And he sent word to find out, who is she? And the second undertow that he missed was when they came back and said, she's Bathsheba. He said, go get her. He ignored the undertow a second time. And when she came, by then he's weak. And he misses the third undertow, and he sleeps with her. And then Pandora's box opens, and David's life changes because he sins greatly. And we all know the story. But he was in a weak state. You know, when I look at this and I think, what are the lessons that we can learn from something like that from a David? And the first is that we have to be able to recognize when we have an undertow in our life. When something's pulling at you and you just can't place it, you got to be able to recognize what it is. Perhaps this undertow is something that the enemy is doing to you to take you straight to a sin. Maybe the undertow to you is that it takes you right to pornography. Maybe the undertow for you is that it takes you right to drinking. Maybe the undertow is it takes you to, I don't know, gossiping. Maybe it takes you to cheating at your job. Maybe it takes you to just lying. It's very subtle, but it pulls you away from God. And the enemy is really, really good at that. But there's also times that the enemy doesn't necessarily pull you right to a sin. He pulls you to a state of mind. Because if he can affect your state of mind, then you're not an effective Christian. So maybe that the enemy takes you to a feeling in a, in a state of anxiety where you're always anxious. Or maybe he takes you to a point of, I'm lonely. Or maybe he takes you to depression. He's good at that. He takes you subtly to these. It's a state of mind. But maybe you've lost that focal point and you've been feeling like you're pulled down. But it's usually pretty simple to get out. And that's the thing that if we don't recognize what it is, we don't necessarily know how to get out of it. And usually, again, you can just step out of it or swim out of it. That might look for you like, look, I just got to get back into the Word. I just got to get the Bible, open up the Bible, read the Word of God and let Him speak to me. So it might be as simple as that. Maybe it's a talking to Jesus, just saying, you know what, God, I, wow, I, I didn't realize I feel anxious or how I feel. It's just labeling it. I was telling the first service that Jay Cole, who used to be here, one of our pastors, he, he brought these great little nuggets, and one that I really held on to that served me very well is the ability to identify something and then put a label on it. Because if you can't label it, it's really hard to work with it. But once you can label what you feel or how you're feeling, then you can work with it. So, for example, if that's you and you feel anxious all the time, label it. That way you can speak to God about it and say, God, I have this feeling of anxiousness. And also, Satan, you don't have power over me in anxiousness and anxiety. Labeling it. You know, if you've been around the mountain 50 times on the same issue, it's time to get off the train and to really identify something that's affecting you. And these subtle undertoes, they, they come so subtly. There was a time early on in my business when, when I was starting it 20-some years ago that I had an appointment with a client 
And I went to their office that they were moving into, and there had been a previous company that was there, and they just closed the doors one day. And it's as if they all got up and they just walked out. There were coffee cups on the desk. There was papers. There was notebooks. There was equipment. Everything as if they just shut the door and walked out. I was about 20 minutes early, so I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I started to feel this sense of, you know, you're, you're starting your business. You could use all this stuff. You could use a, a laptop. There's a copy of Microsoft Office there. There's a, a scanner. There's a, a printer. There's pens, pencils. You got 20 minutes before your customer comes. And I'm looking at everything, and I'll tell you, the undertow was so real. I could just stack this stuff and walk it to my car. And I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the enemy. This is him at work. It just, holy cow. This is my business. I'm in the business of selling security systems. You got to trust me, right? It wouldn't look good if I'm taking your stuff and I'm walking out the door. So I'm, I'm thinking about it and I decided, no, I, I just sat down. And right then the customer walked in. He was 15 minutes early. Can you imagine had I taken that anything and I'm walking out to my car when he walked in, the enemy was right there. Had I not just recognized him for who he is and how real it was, but that pull, that undertow, was just as real. 1 Peter 2.11 says this, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Isn't that so true? You know, the, dis the difference between an undertow and a riptide, that undertow is right there pulling at you, but the riptide happens on top, and the enemy is just as good at this. And I liken this in a riptide as to when in your life you have something that's coming at you and it's hitting you. And before you can get back up, another wave comes and another wave comes. And it just keeps smacking you from the top. And if you've been in a riptide, you don't know how powerful the feeling is to do the wrong thing. And the feeling in a riptide is that you want to swim towards the shore. That's the natural feeling. You're being pulled out. You naturally just want to swim towards the shore. But it's the wrong thing to do. The right thing is to swim parallel to the shore. Until you're out of it, then you can go to the, go to the shore and swim, and swim. But unless you've been there, you don't know. So a couple pieces of advice about a riptide. The first piece, just avoid it. Avoid it entirely. When we would go to the beach with my friend in California, if they had a riptide, a lot of times they would have the sign that there's a riptide. And you can see the riptide from far. You can't see it when you're in it, but from the, on the shore, if you look, you'll see the waves going, and then there's going to be a break in one wave that's going to be lower. That's where it's going back out. And you can just avoid it altogether. And the same thing with our faith. If something pulls you so fast and so far out, just avoid it altogether. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Romans but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. First Thessalonians, abstain from every form of evil. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So say that you can't. Say that you can't. You have a couple, couple choices here. The first we talked about, change course, right? For you, this might look like, and Karen and I, our biggest argument always came when we were having a young family about time. So there was never enough time. 
We had three little kids. I'm starting a business. Karen ended up working. And we never had time. We always argued about that. One of the things that I had to do, realize what's pulling me from my faith is the pressures of life and time. And we had to make a decision what goes. We had to make a course correction in life to get out of the riptide that pulls me from my faith. And that might be you today. Maybe as you look at your life, something's pulling you from your faith. You need to make a change in course and a course correction and reorganize your priorities. But what if you can't do that? What if you can't just change your life? What if it's just beating you, pounding you day after day? You drop an anchor. You drop an anchor down, and for that, it might look like, you know what, God, I just got to get back on my knees, and I got to pray. I got to get back into the Word, open up my Bible. I need to start calling out to you and letting you, who sustains people through a storm. You know, I'm, I'm not going to pick on the Vordenbergs, but you guys have been a great example of this. They've had a lot of things pounding them day after day, week after week with Stephen's health. And these guys couldn't make life change that it would be different. So they dropped an anchor. They pressed into their faith. They pressed into the church. And they pressed in a great example of how Christians should drop anchor in a storm. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. A friend of mine told me one time, when you're in the middle of this, when you're in the middle of the storms, take one scripture. And just hang on to that one scripture. Let that scripture breathe life into you. And I encourage you, if you're there today, do that. But maybe you're the person that's sitting there and you just go, you know what, I don't even care. You're talking and all I hear is the Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. And you're just so distant and you're so far and you say, I have no idea how I get back. How do I get what I once had? You call the lifeguard. You just stop and you call out to Jesus who's in the life-saving business and you say, Jesus, I don't know how I got here, but I need to be rescued. And that's what God does. He's so awesome. But don't try to do it on your own because you can't. You'll succumb to it. The best thing is just call out to Jesus today. And if that's you, I really want to encourage you to do that today. So I want to take a hard right turn and I want to go a different direction. And I want to tell you from my experience, this is just my life, but I think you might find some truth to it. There's been two things in my life that have kept me from having what God wants me to have as a productive, fruitful Christian walk. One's going to sound really, really weird. And that thing is the desire to fit in and sin. Two very powerful undertoes. And I want to, I want to give you some... Uh, thoughts, and I want you to chew on them and see if this makes sense to you. So close your eyes, you can keep them open, but I want to just see if any of these you can relate to, all right? The pressure of the desire to fit in, the way that you dress. Do you find that you, you dress and you have to have a certain style of clothes so that you fit in, or when you go somewhere, you're very, very aware of not fitting in with your clothes? How about what you drive? Do you feel you have to drive a certain car because anything less than that you wouldn't fit in with what society does? And you've got to have a nice car. Not that that's bad. Not that anything of, of these are bad. 
The feeling that you have to have a good job, that maybe a job that society doesn't think is as prestigious as another isn't good enough. What about what your teeth look like? When you smile, are you aware of that one tooth that people look at and stare at? How about how you laugh? It's like, man, I got an annoying laugh and I know that they sense that and I'm so cognizant of my laugh. How about how underweight you are? Man, I'm so skinny, I can't, I can't fight my way out of a wet paper bag and I'm so cognizant of that or how heavy you are. I'm overweight and I don't like going places because people are looking at me. How about how inadequate you feel or when you don't feel smart, you're around people who you just feel, you know what, I, I'm not as smart as they are. How about whether people like you at all? I don't think they like me. In fact, I know they don't like me. How about how much money that you feel you need to have? Man, I can't go out with them because they, they like to order here and they like to go and eat there and I'm on a budget and I'm, I'm too embarrassed to tell them that I'm on a budget. How about what type of house you have? Our house isn't a really good house, so I'm not going to invite people over. What about the way that your parents look? I don't want to go anywhere with my parents because they, they act weird and they dress weird and my dad doesn't have a good job and I just don't want to be around my parents. You see, society tells you and me the way that we're supposed to fit in. And the reason that I said that I think that this weighs out is because we react to all of these things. If we're not careful as a Christian, we'll get caught in that undertow and we react. And it might be something that causes you to go straight to something sinful. Maybe in order to fit in, you're doing something that God would say, I don't want you doing that. You have no business doing that. Or it might be that as you try to feel this undertow, that you go, you know what, I'm, I don't have a life like everybody else. Everybody else, I look at Facebook, what Facebook has the ability to do is to show you the great things that everybody else is doing and you realize that my life is horrible compared to all these other people. But the desire to fit in and what Facebook does. But it might be also how you look at things and just say, you know what, I guess that's the way society is. I guess that's what, what we do now and we're permissive of it. If we lose our focal point on Jesus, then we've been pulled out to sea. But here's the truth, you guys. You and me, we weren't designed to fit in. We're not designed to look like the world. God said, I designed you to be holy, different. 1 Peter 1.15 says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Because if we look like the world, if we act like the world, if we sound like the world, dress like the world, we are the world. And there's no difference. But they should look at us as Christians and see something different. The second thing is sin. So we had a talk the other night, our, our family, we were at dinner, and I had two, my daughters aren't here, but two millennial daughters, right? And we got into this conversation about all these social issues, and we ran the gamut. We talked, it all started with our town agreeing to put the gay pride flag in town. And there was a firestorm in our town on all the social media about this, whether or not you fly this flag. Just a huge controversy. And I, I don't want to get stuck in the weeds on what everything, but we, this started a conversation with my daughters and, and my wife and I, and we went all the way around through all these social issues. And you know, as a dad, and I realized I'm becoming an old fart that I, I believe certain things and, and I have said in my ways, but there was a great challenge to me that these millennials are very socially aware and they're gonna ask dad, so what do you think? What does Shiloh think? 
What do they think about these things? And you know, as I, as I thought about this, my first inclination is to just be, I, I don't know, be myself and just go spout out an opinion. But I really had to stop and say, you know what, guys? The first thing that I think we really have to do is go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say sin is? Because I think in reality, you guys, in today's world, we don't call a sin a sin anymore. When's the last time that you realized your sin and you called it for what it is, sin, and labeled it and dealt with sin? I think that's where our society is today. But as Christians, we have to label things what they are, and sin is sin, and we go back to the Bible for that. So I want to ask you a couple of questions as we close today. Some personal questions. So where are you? Where are you? Are you caught in an undertow and you've just been standing there letting it do its job on you? Are you willing to step out of it today? Are you willing to swim out of it? To get back a focal point on Jesus? Have you drifted from your faith today? Have you drifted away from God? Do you feel like your life is pointless or empty or disconnected? Or do you feel connected to God? Because the only real solution and the best answer to all these questions is Jesus. He's the only one that can feel the gap, fill the gap because without him everything is really pointless. So as we close, just close your eyes and I'm going to say a prayer. So Father God, as we are here today, I just ask if there are some people here that need to change course in their lives, if you could help them to see it. Help them to step out of what they've been caught in in an undertow or the riptide. Lord, there are dads here today. And oh boy, we need fathers. God, we need Christian men, Christian dads. So I pray that you would equip these men. If these are the men here today that need to make a change in their life, as we pray right now, Lord, I pray that you would just convict their heart. But God, give them hope that it's never too late to step up to the plate and be the dad and be the Christian that, they, that you called them to be. There are dads all over this country who would like to do things differently. I pray that you would help them today. God, I pray for those who sit here today and feel lost, or they feel alone, they feel disconnected, and they just think, you know, this message is for everybody else. No, this message is for you. I pray that they would call out to you as a lifeguard today. God, just press the reset button in their life. Bring them close. Bring them home. Provide them a path to get back, Lord. Just let them experience your love as they sit here today, that you're out there rescuing them. They don't have all the answers, God, but just help them to see you. Help them to feel your presence today. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for being so kind and gracious with us that your mercy is new every day. We thank you for that. You're a good and mighty God. We give you the rest of this day to serve you and to bring glory to you in all that we do, all that we say, all that we think. In your most holy name, we pray. Amen. Hopefully you guys enjoy your day.
Happy Father's Day to the fathers.